Bloody Fox News. My episodes are written the week before going out. I record on Friday and edit over the weekends. Lately, I've laid out ideas that no one else is talking about, only to find Fox hitting on them as my work is about to be scheduled for release. I have to move ahead faster. Some bitches. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. This is indeed the P4B. I'm your host, the legendary, if sometimes erratic, Matt Jordan. Today, my mission, green scams, bombs, and a tiny bit of baseball. My mission. Every week, I try to bring you an alternative perspective to what you are being inundated with out there. From national to international news to politics, economics, and sometimes offbeat topics like sports and health and entertainment, I try to give you a way of seeing things that are not what most think of as the norm. From where I sit, especially in the realm of economics and politics, the norm has brought us only pain and corruption. There is a way to view life that, if not actually providing answers, sometimes it does, it will at least inspire a healthy skepticism. I am sometimes brash, sometimes satirical or lighthearted, but it's always intended to shift your focus from canned information to a historically realistic digest. Do I get angry at the world? Sure. Sometimes. Can I be a bit cynical at times? Absolutely. When what we are being told is divorced from reality and intended to deceive you, I'm merciless. See anything I've written about Davos, or WEF, or DEI, or ESG, or CBDC. These, quote, salvations are intended to destroy your life and enslave you. On those subjects, I am merciless in my criticism and will always champion their undoing. And I hope to see you here often, and I thank you for your support. There will be multiple opportunities below for you to subscribe to the P4B. That way you don't miss a thing. Pain in Arizona. As of this writing, the Phillies are up two games to one in the NLCS. That will change before you hear this. We just took an excruciatingly slow loss to the Diamondbacks. That game nearly put me in a coma. But it shined a light on Philly fan enthusiasm as opposed to other venues. Playing at the quote, the bank, is what they now call the field as a nickname, is unique. Visiting teams hate it.
The Phils love it. There is a genuine excitement shared between the team and the city. Just six more games. Keep the political party pooper playbook chugging along. We want to poop on the nonsense generated by our political parties by keeping you tuned in. I left a link in the text so you can help feed the author. Thanks from me and the P4B. We know what happened to the hospital. Quit posturing. It only takes a modicum of reason to understand most events. But to understand anything, you have to eliminate the obnoxious noise surrounding it. To understand the, quote, bombing of the hospital and why it is not a genuine controversy, I will look at another situation for perspective. In June of 2023, a dam in Ukraine was destroyed. The resulting flood destroyed farmland and caused numerous deaths. Immediately, people did what people too often do. They lined up with their pro-Ukrainian or anti-Ukrainian tribes and dim-wittedly declared who blew up the dam. To really understand the event, you don't have to be on one side or the other. You can even reject the positions of both sides and with facts and reason, establish logically who blew up the dam. To do this, we use two of my favorite tools, the question qui bono and the application of Occam's razor. In April of 23, there was a huge leak of classified information in Ukraine. One can safely guess that the leak came from a corrupt source high on the intel distribution list. Reasonable people can agree that the Ukraine government is still crawling with pre-Zelensky oligarchs and other rodents. Whatever you think of the ex-actor himself, he's just one guy. It's also a lead pipe cinch that the documents had at least a broad outline of the coming spring-summer offensive. Integral to those plans was a move toward the south-central area of Ukraine's eastern border. This would pass just south of where the dam was. The move would have split Russian forces, trapping tens of thousands, and if successful, would have choked off all movement of troops and supplies to more than half of the territory held by Russia. It also would have put Russian shipping and naval assets in easy reach. Russia now knew this. The simplest and most direct conclusion is Russia blew up the dam. For Ukrainians to have done it, they would have had to sneak tons of explosives and planted them in the dam held primarily by the Russians. No one is that stealthy, certainly not the Ukrainians. And it would have wrecked the upcoming offensive. There's your razor. And Quibono, who benefits, is extremely clear. The Russians lack the strength and the depth of forces and access in the area to repel the planned attack. Of course they blew up the dam. It denied Ukraine an attack route. So all the screeching by both sides amounts to only noise, nonsense. Even if some were guessing correctly, understanding the event is more important than who done it.
Of course, both sides blame the other. It was a barbaric act. But logic and reality comes down solidly against Russia. They blew it up, and they lived to fight another year or more. So, to the hospital question. The same thing happened last week when a hospital parking lot was blown up. The tribes, with no evidence considered, just parroted what the leaders of each side were saying. Most disturbing was the tribal uproar in the United States. It demonstrated how ignorant we've become as a society and how uncivilized. This time we have two questions, but with a twist. We have evidence. First, if you see the videos of the actual explosion, notice the fiery, billowy nature of the explosion. It is not at all the character of the long-range munitions Israel has been expending on Gaza. Those blasts are much more violent and debris-ridden. In a night shot, a wide blast wave would have been plainly visible. In the videos including the rocket launches, even Al Jazeera, no pro-Israel publication it, says it was clear that a rocket immediately strayed from its intended path and was likely the one that hit the parking lot. What else can we deduce if we are not tribal children about the subject? Well, what kind of munition can produce a smaller detonation and a flaming explosion? A good answer would be the small rockets Hamas makes from water pipes or smuggles in from outside. Let's face it, you're not going to get a 13-inch airframe into Gaza unnoticed. When you combine this deduction with the photographs, the pictures become more clear. It doesn't take a forensic scientist to see that an explosion occurred involving two cars directly. Two derelicts are seen sitting askew of all the others and utterly destroyed. The blast lit the gas tanks of both along with several others in the lot. Those others are still parked and look like cars, but are completely burnt. Finally, there is the claim of 500 dead from this explosion. This is why I bring in the third consideration of my evaluation of the event. Falsus and uno, falsus and omnibus. The Gazans lied. That explosion didn't kill 500 anything. If you were in the immediate vicinity of the blast, you surely would have been killed or horribly burned. If you were on the first floor near a window or a door facing the blast, you surely could have been killed. But there was no 500 of anybody killed. Lie to me once. We dispense with the razor with the nature of the explosion. So, cui bono, in terms of lying about the incident? Well, the Israelis might have for the first hour or so. But if the detonation was sharp and powerful, that would have left them looking pretty super stupid. Hamas, on the other hand, is a small band, ruling by force an area of 40 square miles. They can't afford to have a population rise up. My guess is that they can't admit fault here for fear of losing popular support. Now, I just went the long way round the bush 
to explain what we in the West knew in our hearts and minds within hours of the explosion. But to both sides of the discussion, I'll say this. To look at the evidence and consider the realities for one second and continue to blame Israel because siding with Hamas gives you some kind of street cred is disgusting. If you side with the Israelis because we are biblically or politically supposed to be aligned with them, that shows an astoundingly simplistic and dangerous reasoning process. But those camps are just trying to make themselves part of the narrative. Stop. None of this is happening to you. As this unfolds, the danger of much wider conflict looms. We need to take the lesson here and develop a much more mature and clear-minded view of all the key events around the globe. To do other would only contribute to the problem. I left a link in the text featuring one of my favorite mugs. Here you'll find gifts for the right-wing reactionary MAGA maniac in your life, plus a whole bunch of other fun, cool stuff. And now for the main event. In the immortal words of Cool in the Gang, celebrate good times, come on. We'll start the main event with a small celebration. Peter Zihan, usually someone I'm catching up to or arguing with, is finally catching up to me on something. I have reams of posts here and at the Energy Revolt that discuss green scams. My default position is this. None of what we are being told is the salvation of the planet is ready for wide deployment. EVs, solar, wind, None of the technologies they are touting as the answer right now are going to do a thing other than empty our wallets. While Zihan is nowhere near my position on climate change or green energy, he released a video this week in which he stated plainly that the Tinker Toys cannot provide the energy we need. As the baby boomers age out and global markets contract and China dies... We need to change almost everything about the way we do business. We will have to onshore or nearshore almost all of our manufacturing. In fact, this has already started. But if we change nothing at all, green energy contraptions would not provide a substantial boost to our present energy needs. Certainly, they'll produce nothing on the order of the costs involved in building them, much less the ugliness of having them blighting our landscape and our seascapes. But as we onshore our industries, we will need far more energy than we produce now. This must come from natural gas and nukes, large and small. And yes, some must still come from coal. But an energy source that relies on good weather and has been propagandized the way wind and solar has? is not an answer at all. So if it sucks, why do we have it? The two main reasons are these. One, P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. 
and I can tell you where at least 150 million of them live. Two, corruption. Cronyism and easy money made the worthless blighting of our landscapes possible. A bit of ancient history might be in order. Starting in the 90s, when global cooling and ozone panics ran their course, anti-fossil fuel dandelions needed a new boogeyman. And they found it. Global warming. It was warmer then than in past years. Oh my God. The birth of an industry. Before long, the burgeoning hysteria about what we now call global warming or climate change, GWCC, gave rise to charlatans. Um, I mean, sorry, consultants who could advise you on how to make your company greener and sustainable. Not all their ideas were bad. Efficiency approves the bottom line. Just changing out the lighting in large buildings to LED, for example, does save an inordinate amount of money. Few, if any, large corporations actually believed or cared about what these experts were preaching about the environment. But they did know that about half of their customer bases were, and still are, gullible, emotional virtue signalers. They knew that if they released statements and ads showing how green they are, they'd attract dewy-eyed loyalty. In 1998, Michael Mann, working with three co-authors, was trying to make a name for himself in studying climatology. One may safely assume that he was also an environmental activist of some sort. Mann set about modeling these changes in temperatures on the Earth. He created a series of graphs and results, none of which had the kind of kick that results in what we now call viral exposure. So, what would happen if you ran two different algorithms together and just graph whatever the computer spits out? And voila! A funny French word. You've got the hockey stick graph. And the boogeyman must be real. There's a footnote. The paper was entitled, Northern Hemisphere Temperature During the Past Millennium, Inferences, Uncertainties, and Limitations. And, in all seriousness, there are so many variables and filling in of arbitrary gaps that it is nothing short of irresponsible to use it as justification to turn the developed world on its head to fix what it purports. For example, the use of fat tree rings with no other accompanying data to say, there, there's a hot ear, ranks up there with phrenology. Also, the report using thousands of data points with no time to fully evaluate them over just a one-year period is rather incredible. Finally, the task set for the report was biased toward the conclusion drawn before the fact. In an interview, Mann said he was not looking for connections between temperatures and anything else. He was just monitoring fluctuations in temperatures over time. But the assumption in the work assigned was to address industrial impact on climate. It was a global warming paper from birth. 
In a very short period, a complex theory was produced using never-before-employed techniques and what is called proxy data. For example, data from lake sediment, tree rings, etc. By releasing his data, there's a footnote, and summarily announcing that the cause of the rapid rise was carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, Man et al. launched a new religion. We'll live alone that is doctored increase. There was an actual increase, just not as shocking. Recorded temperatures rising from one of the coldest troughs in atmospheric temperatures in 2,000 years, coinciding with the beginning of reliable instrumentation. Perhaps I'll deal with that in a future episode. His graph started to gain steam quickly. Climatologists started modeling, not studying, the global temperatures using man's data as their baseline. From that day to this, they have started with often ridiculous assumptions and fed them into the computers. Naturally, you'd get the most outrageous results. For example, assume the oceans one day surrendered 2% of all the potential energy they store. The results, the computers say, are of course terrible. But why would the oceans do that? There is no known event that would cause them to do that. The only thing that could logically do it would be a massive asteroid strike. So we'd have a lot more to worry about than how much energy the oceans released. But hey, why spoil a good time for the alarmists, right? Lefty politicians aren't blind. They saw the power that could be had fanning the flames of this fad. Right away, anything having to do with carbon dioxide was vilified. They care not at all for the results of any actions they've taken since. Al Gore jumped into the action with speeches and a mockumentary called Inconvenient Truth. This took the daisies in our society by storm. Countries were already experimenting, quite unsuccessfully, with solar and wind power. Schemes were sold to homeowners, businesses, and towns saying something like, those wind turbines in Strudel, Germany, are producing half the energy the town needs. These kinds of statements are known in the real world as lies. Here's how they arrive at these, quote, conclusions. I've made this point many times over the years, and the video above the footnotes bears it out as well. And as we go through this, keep in mind that the coal plants, if that is what an area uses primarily, have to keep burning right along no matter what. The wind farm guys take a reading on a windy day at a moment of minimal demand. The output from the wind farm reads about half of what the town is drawing at that moment. This would have to be a very small town. But that moment doesn't last long. The associated battery will deplete very quickly. Then you're back on coal or natural gas. If power is drawn straight from the rotors of the wind turbine's movement, then you draw very little power anyway. When B. Hussein Obama the Magnificent took power, he announced that his election marked the day the ocean stopped rising. Gotta keep Barnum suckers blindly cheering, don't you? 
He, Gore, and a bunch of other political whores teamed up with large companies, cronies, to really rake in the cash. And here's where the scam begins to take on a life of its own. The cronies wrote bills that the White House and the scammers backed. Congress voted billions of dollars directly to the cronies who immediately started building large, overly expensive wind and solar farms. Investors flocked to the new cash cow. Zero lending pushed things along even faster. The Beltway couldn't pump out green propaganda quick enough. Some of the earliest cronies to get big bucks to play out the scam went belly up pretty quick. Solyndra got $535 million, there's a footnote, and very quickly declared bankruptcy. Its executives, many coincidentally tied directly to Barrio, parachuted out under golden parachutes. A win-win for the political whores and the cronies. A total loss for the American people. But the fun didn't stop there. Hey guys, what if we could convince people to drive electric cars? That would be so great! Well, at the time, they were in the experimental stage, and still are. They had very poor range, with not a lot of improvement since. They had no hauling capacity. Again, this has changed little. And as used cars, they'll have no value. So how do we get the rubes, I mean the citizens, to purchase them? Hmm. I got it. First, we subsidize the shit out of the industry and the buyers of these junkers. Then we add a new highway tax. It was actually proposed to discourage the use of millions of perfectly serviceable real cars that people already own. Perhaps the states and the counties will follow suit. The suckers in the blue areas probably will. Then we use the same guilt-mongering and lollipops propaganda that we use for windmills and solar panels. And bingo! Companies that had given up on battery-powered, coal-charged, cars as unworkable and pointless jumped into the battery car market again. Who'd have thunk it? Then that bad orange man came and spoiled the party. There were still some people buying the Tinker Toys, but it wasn't nearly as much fun. At least he didn't take the subsidy away. Too many political whores in Congress to allow that. Joe Duh to the rescue. After four years of so-so progress, the Biden administration, property of Obama and friends, outdid them all. Davos, the activists, political whores, cronies, all huddled up. And in the course of two years, they created the Infrastructure Act, a thinly disguised green scam act, and the Inflation Reduction Act, the name being the only fig leaf for this dishonest green scam bill. They were long and complex and voted on without being read by any elected representatives. Now, $4 trillion has been dumped on the green scam industry. They're planning to blanket the Midwest with windmills with no consideration for what will happen to surface winds, soil movement, seed movement, 
migratory birds, or competing wind monstrosities. No thought about how reliable the actual wind will be in some of these areas. They are killing sea mammals by the bushel and will destroy fisheries and vacation areas along more than 600 miles of the east coast with more windmills. Not a single city or state will be able to run anything reliably off of these things. All will have to continue to rely on coal, natural gas, or nuclear power for 90% of their energy. Here's the best part. I've said this many times before, and I think I'm still the only one saying it out loud. Because Uncle Stinky is up to his neck in these projects, and because there are trillions of dollars being thoughtlessly thrown around, these profanations will be insanely overpriced, poorly managed, and will later become an enormous economic millstone around the necks of those who are supposed to benefit from them. And I'll say this again, these tinker toys, especially the wind farms, will be rotting, worthless hulks across the country within 25 years. No one will want to tear the derelicts down. That is until Uncle Stinky blows more of your money to overpay the cronies to do it. Not for nothing, but $4 trillion comes to about $12,700 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Maybe you should get thousands of shares in green scam companies. Nah, they're not going to give you a dime of anything they make or any increase in the value of the companies you gave them. Solutions. I always try to bring them. First, you must actively reject this lunacy before it's too late. You must cajole and even shame your representatives into rejecting the projects and clawing back the money. That would be your city council, mayor, state legislatures, governors, and definitely the U.S. Congress and Obama's puppet. My thing is to troll their social media and send emails. Second, 65. This election, like last election and the three before that, we need 65 GOP seats. Peopled by senators too scared to even say the words green or spending in public. A veto-proof majority, plus a few extra to compensate for the laymasses, is what this country needs to right itself. If we don't do that, the left and their cronies will continue to destroy this nation. Finally, join the energy revolt. It's a good idea that could actually move the needle if it catches on. It is primarily established to promote energy production here, fight ESG, and shut down green scams. I'll be looking for you. There's a link. There's also a link near the bottom of the text. It's interesting, but barely scratches the surface of what I was saying earlier about the riding hulks. Call it a primer for or evidence of bigger disasters down the road. And of course, at the bottom of the text, you'll find Peter Zihan's video. Be sure to use all the buttons at the top and bottom of the text. We live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us today.